Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, folks. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, talking to you Gulf to Canada and Atlantic to Pacific and around the globe. Thanks for tuning in. We got lots to cover today. We always do. This is a fire hose of information out there. Sorting it out is crazy, trying to bring you what matters, what you haven't heard before, and the news behind the news. But then I'm a crazy guy. I'm the Hayseed from Wyoming, bringing you the Cowboys take. Remember, we have zillions of articles on the website, including some specific pages, COVID, Ukraine, corruption, you name it. Definitely visit the website to get more in-depth information on everything I'm discussing with you. www.ontherightsideradio. And if you want to write us, please do. On the right side radio at Reagan.com. We're going to cover military readiness, a part of the history of military readiness of the United States. And I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. And next week, we're going to go into more military readiness because in today's world, with an ascending China, a belligerent Russia, Iran on the verge of getting a nuke, thank you, Obama and Biden, we face perils and we need to be ready. I'm going to bring you up to speed I think in a very succinct fashion, on what's going on with this Durham probe, the special prosecutor who's starting to get into the meat of Russiagate and the frauds and the coercion and the treason that occurred at all levels from low levels of the FBI up through the law firms that supported and represented Clinton all the way up to the White House. That would be Joe Biden and Barack Obama at the time. And I think this will bring it into perspective because it can be confusing, particularly when you hear all sorts of contradictory voices throwing little bits and pieces at you. We're going to bring it all together in one fat, juicy, retching, wretched story. And of course, we're going to have the fourth installment on our getting organized, take action, getting off the couch, standing up. And this one is how to present yourself in public. And then, of course, we're going to have rat-a-tat-tat, including some very interesting developments on the election fraud front, some court rulings and some discoveries in various states of additional frauds over that, which have been discovered and which I've brought to you in many previous shows. And, of course, we're going to have our founder's quote, which is how we're going to start the show. Benjamin Franklin, whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. And then, although not a founder, you could say he was kind of a futurist. You know, George Orwell, 1984. We do live in Orwellian times, do we not? And when the memory failed and written records were falsified, the claim of the party to have improved the conditions of human life had got to be accepted. Yes. Boy, are we seeing that in full display? Between the unholy alliance of foreign adversaries, internal domestic treason, big tech, corrupt media, and a corrupt democratic Marxist party, at least for the most part. 
Before I begin, I want to tell you a little thing that happened on the ranch the other day. There was two coyotes that were kind of loping along. It was along a ditch where the grass was still higher, hadn't really been grazed or brazed by the horses and the cows. And there was a pink hue to the sky as the sun was setting behind the rims of the mountains. And there were three doe deer. Several of these deer had yearlings with them. It's not fawn time yet. And one of the deer ran, and the two coyotes kind of went after her. The other two deer stood their ground, them between the coyotes and their yearling fawns. The coyotes never bothered them. I thought that was kind of symbolic of where we are at in this country right now. Stand your ground, peace through strength, and you will be left alone. Run, and you will be chased and devoured. Which is a perfect lead-in, I think, to the state of American military readiness. And more on this next week, too. First of all, let me give you the definition of readiness by the Department of Defense and pretty widely accepted in all circles. Readiness is a term that measures the ability of the United States military, all its branches, all its various facets, to produce, deploy, and sustain military forces that will perform successfully in combat. In other words, win, inflict damage on the enemy. The Department of Defense, and before that, its predecessors, the Departments of War and the Departments of Navy, they've used the term readiness literally since the 1830s. In fact, the first reference in the congressional records was 1836. We've been in a lot of conflicts, folks. You would be amazed at how many conflicts the United States has been in. A hundred, give or take. And there's conflicts we haven't even heard about that the historians don't even know about. Small but brutal. You can divide them kind of into three or four major timelines. The wars of the early republic. And in the wars of the early republic, you have, and I'm not giving you even a smidgen of them. You have no idea how warlike America has been, sometimes of necessity. But the American Revolution, the Indian Wars, the Whiskey Rebellion, the Barbary Wars, which was really the first skirmish between the Western world and radical Islam off the Barbary Coast, the Barbary Pirates, and the War of 1812. And the second kind of range of conflicts, you could term the wars of a growing and troubled republic. That would include the Mexican-American War, 1846 to 1848, the United States Civil War, and then we move to the Wars of the Imperial Republic time period, the Spanish-American War, the Boxer Rebellion way over there in China, U.S. intervention in the Panamanian Revolution, the U.S.-Philippine War, 1899 to 1902, and then we get into the current phase of conflicts. To make the world safe for democracy, kind of the wars of the global republic, which is what we are. So we have World War I as a standout, but before that, Pershing's raid into Mexico, 1916-1917. We have our intervention, I bet you didn't know this, in the Russian Civil War. You know, the white and the red forces over there in Russia, I've brought you the history of the rise of Lenin. Our enemies were the Bolsheviks the Soviet government that had seized power in 1918, and the Cold War, and the Korean War, and the Second Indochina War, as historians call it, we call it 
the Vietnam War, and the U.S. intervention in Lebanon, and the U.S.-Libya conflict. By the way, the intervention in Lebanon entailed the bombing of the Marine barracks, if you remember that, and the NATO intervention in Bosnia, and the U.S. invasion of Panama. Did you know that? <laughs> 1989, and the Kosovo War, and the Afghanistan conflict, and the Third Persian Gulf War, which was called Operation Iraqi Freedom, and the intervention in Somalia, remember Black Hawk Down, and the war on ISIS, and currently the current Persian Gulf crisis, and of course, Ukraine. Even though we don't have soldiers on the ground, we are very much involved, and it's very much affecting our readiness. Readiness entails being ready. I know that sounds kind of screwy, but think about it. Readiness levels, which the DOD calls readiness metrics and reporting, is the key input to determine defense funding requirements. Oh, we're going to be getting into that. Oh, yeah, in the rest of the story. The definition of readiness is published. It's published in what's called Joint Publication JP1, which in its preface by the DOD is, quote, the ability of military forces to fight and meet demands of assigned missions, unquote. Assigned missions, folks, are the missions that are given to the military under national strategic policy. There's really three kind of documents that govern American military readiness that are used in various reports to the State Department and the Congress, etc., most of which obviously are ignored. There's a document that's approved by the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Oh, you mean Milley? Critical Race Theory Milley? Oh, it gives me warm fuzzies, I'll tell you what. I'll take off my tinfoil hat. We're safe, we're safe, we're safe. That report, it's called the NMS. It's really the application of military power to attaining national security strategy and defense strategic guidance objectives. That's a quote. The second report is called the NDS. This is a document that is basically contrived in current times, formulated in previous times, by the Secretary of Defense. You know, know, that was a Freudian slip. The Secretary of Dents. I think that, that describes Lloyd Austin perfectly. I might have to start using that. But the Secretary of Defense report, that NDS, quote, focuses on the Department of Defense's role in implementing the President's National Security Strategy, which is called the NSS. Well, you know, you have to have a National Security Strategy to implement it. Right now, we seem to be, uh, should we say, lacking one. I'll be really kind. And then you have the NSS, which is the National Security Strategy. In that general context, that measures the ability of our forces, our armed forces, to fight and win anywhere at any given time. Those are the three guiding documents of military readiness, and they have been for about 30 give or take years. In fact, from the time of the beginning of the decline of the American military, which we're going to talk a little bit about. America can't really be compared to another country. Oh, yes, you can measure the amount of tanks relative to China or to Russia or whatever, and the amount of planes and the amount of men and all those types of things. But America is really a unique entity on the globe because it is, for better or for worse, and based on the three previous documents, particularly the National Security Strategy, the NSS, 
kind of the peacekeeper of democracy, or at least it has been up to this point, around the globe. And there's lots of things that have gone into all these conflicts, folks, and some of them are not pretty. And some of them have to do with greed, corruption, and power, which is kind of what we're seeing in the Ukraine and what we've seen in other areas in recent years. But America is unique in that it faces many military threats from many different nations at once. It's part of being number one, if in fact we still are number one, or maybe we're tied for number one with China. Attacking America or its interests alone is absolutely going to end in defeat for any single nation. So therefore, other countries will form alliances to undermine us and to attack us. See what's happening with Russia and China and Iran, right? That current axis that is formulating. This is exactly what history has taught us for thousands of years. Basing military readiness on American military superiority over any single nation is not applicable in today's world. The old national security strategy, the NSS, it concluded up to just a few years ago that the United States, quote, must have the capability to deter, and if deterrence fails, defeat large-scale cross-border aggression in two distance theaters in overlapping time frames. Think about that. I'll have you know that within the military, over the last decade, that goalpost has moved. We no longer either wish to or are able to accomplish that national security mission. Reductions in the U.S. Armed Forces began in the early 1990s. The Bush administration reduced the size of the military, the old Bush, you know, the elder Bush, reduced the size of the military. The Clinton administration devastated the military, both in funding and in numbers. In fact, since the Persian Gulf War in 1991, with putting aside the slight uptick under Trump, the U.S. military has been deployed in over 50 peacekeeping and peace enforcement operations. But the resources available to fund those missions have decreased, particularly after inflation. You know, right now, this new magic budget of President Cadaver is 1.7% increase for the military. Well, you know, folks, if you have 8% inflation as the government measures it, that's a 6% reduction in overall purchase power for military that is now confronting more threats and more powerful alliances than it ever has. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of military degradation in the United States. So in 1992, believe it or not, we had 57 tactical squadrons and 270 bombers. And then thanks to Bill and Hillary, between 1992 and 2000, national defense was cut by more than a half a million personnel and $50 billion dollars in inflation-adjusted dollars. The Army lost four active divisions, two reserve divisions, and more than 205,000 soldiers, about 30% of the total Army staff. Even though its missions were significantly increased at that time period and later. And the forces have never really recovered. George Bush didn't do much to recover. He did much to deplete. And Barack Obama, well... You know, one of his number one targets was the military. We'll be talking more about what he did next week. It saw saw a slight resurgence, but there wasn't really enough time during the Trump administration. And now under Cadaver, 
Obama's third term, the military is being shellacked once again. You know, the Navy, the number of ships decreased significantly starting in the 1990s. In 1992, there were 393 ships in the fleet, and now it's just under 300, although several are in the phases of construction because of Trump. We can talk about the Marine Corps. We'll talk about that next week. Everything has been cut. Everything has been downsized. More and more reliance on technology, but it can't seem to get manufactured. It can't seem to work. You know, America has 20 stealth bombers. Guess how many can fly right now? How many are ready to fly? Nine. Nine of the 20. I'm going to have more on this for you next week. It is just eye-popping. Of the 54 operational squadrons that remain in the Air Force, 31 are active duty, and now 23 are guard or reserve units. In other words, there's been a shift in emphasis and readiness. In addition to a cut in real funding, except in the Trump years, and the bottom line, folks, the rest of the story is that America is not prepared for a major single conflict. Never mind two major conflicts at various ends of the globe. Our military readiness, exacerbated by this nonsense of critical race theory training and equity training, when soldiers should be trained to accomplish their mission, when they should be trained for readiness. More on this next week with, uh, you know, <laughs> Secretary of Dents. I do love that. I love that mistake. Secretary of Dents, you know, Austin, baby, and Cadaver, and the rest of the screaming memes in Congress who want to divert money from national preparedness and readiness to all sorts of social programs to buy votes. The military recently got a raise just, oh, I think a week ago. It was a good raise. It's great. But if you think that raise was because this administration wants to increase military readiness, think again. That raise was for one thing, folks. That was to buy votes in the military, which is not staunchly pro-administration right now, to buy votes in the 2022 midterm elections. Nothing that the left does is done without political implications. And in the case of the military, nothing that they do is done out of a love of this country. And that is the rest of the story for this show on American military readiness. Let me see if I can pull all this together for you on what's happening with the Durham investigation. You know, he was appointed about a year before or so Trump left office. And although the Democrats have tried to figure out all sorts of ways to unseat, undermine, castigate him as incompetent or witch hunt or whatever. He is grinding along. He's a bulldog. I told you about him years ago. I was entirely pleased that he was put in charge of this effort to unwind the three years of Russiagate treason, nonsense, and lies. So there's this guy by the name of Michael Sussman. He was a Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer. His trial is coming up. And in the course of this trial, there's, there's been filings. There's been no releases, unlike the Mueller investigation. There's been no releases to the press. There's been no leaks. 
So all this is gleaned from actual court filings by the special counsel, John Durham. Basically, Durham is now saying, and he's, he's deposited the documents in court, that Hillary Clinton operatives flooded the zone in the summer and fall of 2016, hoping that just by sheer numbers and weights and occasions, they could come up with multiple and fabricate multiple Trump collusion allegations, get them circulating inside government agencies, then get them leaked to the media so the media could run a story so the government agencies could use it as a front. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it is so evil. It is so un-American. It is so treasonal. Sussman is on trial for lying to the FBI. They have him dead to rights. They have it in writing. I mean, it's he, he's a cook goose. He's a cook goose. And he's the one who came up with the secret computer back channel at the Alpha Bank in Moscow. You remember all that nonsense that was going on? And he worked in conjunction with big tech people, which are called by Durham ex- Tech Executive 1, Tech Executive 2, etc. They've pretty much been identified now. Well, he sent a, an email to Jim Baker who was the general counsel of the FBI under our buddy Comey. You know, Comey, the guy who loves America, law and order, and the equal application of justice. He's our buddy. Quote, Jim, it's Michael Sussman. I have something time-sensitive and sensitive I need to discuss. That was September 18th, 2016. Do you have availability for a short meeting tomorrow? I'm coming on my own. Not on behalf of a client or company. I just want to help the Bureau. Thanks. Unquote. That, by the way, is the basis of his prosecution. Also, he lied to Congress. Also, he lied to the CIA. I won't bore you with those details. If you go further, okay, Devin Nunes, he says that the false Russia collusion narrative that was weaved by Team Clinton ended up having all sorts of of detrimental domestic and international consequences all the way up, folks, and I've been telling you this for months, to the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Quote, because of all this crap that happened during the Trump administration, the United States of America couldn't have a real foreign policy and deal with characters like Putin in a kind of normal way. Unquote. And then, this was all done in conjunction with the Steele dossier, right? You remember that. That was another but simultaneous and parallel Clinton effort to kind of falsely tie Trump to Russia collusion. And all this was going on at one time. And unfortunately, they had allies in the Bureau and they had allies in the CIA and they had allies in the State Department, which, of course, Hillary Clinton had run pretty much up to that time. On July 5th, 2016, which is the same day, ironically, that the FBI clears Hillary Clinton of criminality. Remember that? You know, in, in the handling of her emails and her hard drive. Steele, the guy who does the dossier, the other prong of this attack, walks into an FBI agent in London, gives him the dossier. Then in July 2016, there's a group of con- computer executives who were hoping to have jobs in the Clinton administration It's now come out. And they were working with Sussman's law firm, Perkins Coie. And they were promoting the Alpha Bank theory. July 30 to 31, 2016. 
FBI in London has done nothing. Steele is frustrated. And he travels to Washington. By the way, he's getting all sorts of money. You know, the money's always there. And meets with his buddy, Senior Justice Department official Bruce Orr. Remember that name? And gives him the dossier. Orr takes the information directly to the FBI headquarters to Comey. Oh, do you see how all this is working out? On July 31, 2016, the FBI, remember Peter Strzok and his lover? Ooh. The FBI opens the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, which the New York Times picks up. It all gets leaked out. Remember all that deal? Another lawyer at Sussman's firm, by the way, on September 15th, briefs the Clinton campaign on Russia collusion research and efforts, their efforts, I quote, to plant a story in the media leaking some of the findings, unquote. On September 19th, Sussman brings the Alpha Bank angle of Russia collusion to Baker at the FBI. The same day, the FBI Crossfire Hurricane team gets six of Steele's memos from the dossier and goes for the FISA warrant. Remember the FISA warrant? On September 21, FBI lawyers urge Crossfire Hurricane to refocus the FISA on Carter Page. Remember him? and not on George Papadopoulos. On September 23rd, the first information is leaked from the Clinton campaign. Do you see how coordinated, do you see how incredibly treasonous this was? From the Clinton campaign's, quote, Russia research, and it appears in Yahoo News, including information from the Steele dossier. On October 13th, 2016, Steele, completely breaking FBI protocol, by the way, goes to the State Department and meets with a senior official by the name of Kathleen Kavalek. She's a former MI6, right, British intelligence agent who's working for the Clinton campaign. And she briefs officials at the State Department on the Steele dossier and the Alpha Bank and other Sussman allegations and talks to major news media outlets. October 21, 2016, the FBI gets the first FISA warrant on Carter Page. The first of four. Three of them signed by Comey. On October 31, 2016, the first big news story leaks about the Alpha Bank allegations. And Hillary Clinton makes a speech the same day that it leaked, calling attention to it and putting out a statement by her advisor, Jake Sullivan, who, by the way, is now President Cadaver's National Security Advisor. I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you see how interlinked this corruption is? Quote, Computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russia-based bank. That was a Clinton tweet that day. And then Sullivan says... The allegations that Clinton is talking about and that came out in this leaked article, quote, could be the most direct link yet between Donald Trump and Moscow. This secret hotline may be the key to unlocking the mystery of Trump's ties to Russia. We can only assume that federal authorities will now explore this direct connection between Trump and Russia. And then on November 8th, Donald Trump wins the election. And on February 9th, 2017, <laughs> Just a few months later, Sussman takes the Alpha Bank allegations to the CIA. And by the way, again, denying he's acting on behalf of a client. 
And do you want to know how high up the chain this conspiracy, this un-American treasonous behavior went? Well, try Barack Obama, along with President Cadaver now and Joe Biden, vice president then. Obama was told twice in July 2016 by different parties of this scheme of Hillary's and that it was in motion. He did zero, nada, nothing. And of course, he added fuel to the fire along the way, and particularly in that January 6th meeting in the Oval Office 2017 with Comey, Rice, then uh, then Vice President Biden, now President Cadaver. Oh yeah, it is wretched. So hopefully this kind of all brings this into focus for you. I mean, it's the short form, but that's how this all came down on a general picture. And big kudos, by the way, to John Solomon at Just the News for uncovering this. This guy is a great reporter. I mean, he's a terrific reporter. And he was on this story early. He was one of the few sane voices of the United States and one of the few uncluttered media voices left in this country. All right, let's start with segment four of kind of get off your butt, get off the couch, take action, get involved. This is it. We are ticking down to the 2022 elections. You're now organized. Your people have goals and objectives. Your subcommittee chairs have everybody organized. You guys have a schedule, or you should, of all the elections, all the candidates. You're putting together events. Now, let's say you need to go down there and you need to raise hell. City council, county commissioners, the sheriff's office, the school board, wherever it happens to be, you know, the state capitol. What you need to do is you need to be organized. You need to know what you are going to do with your public face and your public presentations. And it needs to be lockstep. It needs to be integrated. Think about what the what the left does in this regard. I mean, give the devil their due. They are masters at it, right? They speak with one voice. They move in lockstep. So, number one, agree on the message that you're going to deliver. Very important. Don't wander. Each event, each situation will have its own message. You can massage it so that it works. If there's more than one message, have more than one presenter. That punctuates your message. Your appearance. Listen, there's no problem with attire that makes a statement, but don't go over the top. You're trying to influence minds, right? You're not trying to piss off people. That's not going to get it done for you. So no vulgarity. You get one chance to make a first impression, folks. And people are going to listen much more to somebody who has an appearance than somebody who looks like, you know, should we say less of an appearance? How's that? Outline your presentation. Plan it. This is really important. Don't stumble around up there when you have the stage and you have people's ears. Start. You want to start with something that catches their attention right away. Sometimes a story will do that. Succinct. Powerful. Visuals always help a presentation. If you can put up slides or you have a poster or you have something visual, people love visuals. It tells them a story. They can kind of fix on it. It can support what you are telling them. Look, give your listeners, whoever that is, specific actions to take. It's no good to make a great presentation and not make a call to action. Tell them what you want them to do. Be peaceful. Even when you are applauding one of your speakers, or even when you don't like something that some moron 
on the podium or or at the dais or at the circular or semicircular table that they all like to sit at, when they say something moronic, you know, you can groan or something like that, but, you know, no shouts, no, it just doesn't get you anywhere, even though it's quite satisfactory when you do it. And if you get arrested, because, you know, they like to use the heavy arm of the law, and there's enough folks in the police, unfortunately, who kind of like the role of Gestapo, if you get arrested at one of these meetings, no resistance, folks. Just put your hands behind your back, they cuff you, keep your mouth shut, you know, when you get down to the station, call your attorney. You could sue their ass off later. Make sure that somebody is recording the arrest or whatever or the event that led up to the arrest, which normally does not warrant an arrest. Trust me, you can have your revenge later, and you can find an attorney probably to take it for you on a contingency. Pack the venue. Make sure that every seat is filled, and make sure that the audience is supportive. Rig the stage for your show. All right, that's how you make presentations. That's how you make a dent. Next week, segment five on Take Action, Get Off the Couch and Do Something. You know, get some American DNA. Drink it up. Inject it. Do whatever you got to do. Rock and roll. I mean, this is it. There's no tomorrows. The election is six months away. You have six months to save this country. Got it? I hope you do. I hope you do. Next week, we're going to talk about elections and how you can win them, how you can make a major dent in elections. Rat-a-tat-tat. You can read them in depth if they interest you on the rightsideradio.com. So let's start off with housing prices. The price of a 30-year fixed mortgage, as you know, the Fed raised interest rates, just passed 5% for the first time since 2011. The average home price today is 511 grand versus $408,000 at this time in 2021. That's unbelievable. If you take the 5% mortgage rate versus the 3.3% at this time last year, the average cost of a mortgage is $2,128 per month. It was, a year ago, $1,229 dollars a month. That's a 73% increase. Be very careful. Very careful. This market is beginning to bubble. You do not want to be playing musical chairs and not have a seat when the music stops. Be careful. Palm Springs, California. Ah, the lefty loons of California. Well, they've decided that they're going to give $800 a month universal income, no strings attached, if you are gay or trans, oh, well, that should be a great-looking community in a year or two, don't you think? Disney. I think we need to change Disneyland to Wokesville. And, you know, Disney's getting shellacked for all their nonsense, which is terrific. Make sure that you don't support companies who are your enemies. That's kind of basic, don't you think, folks? I mean, you wouldn't be sending money to, uh, to like, Red China, would you? Well, you don't need to send it to Disney and a whole bunch of other woke folks either. Anyway, they had projected by 2024 to have 260 million subscribers to their streaming service. But right now, they're only at 116 million, and it's slowed way down since all their nonsense. And then, of course, they have their, their woke deal going on, you know? Their woke deal. Left-wing agenda... 
TV programming, movies, you name it. In the theme parks, it's no more boys and girls. No, no, no. Mm -mm, That doesn't work. And Disneyland officials have retooled Roger's Rabbit's cartoon spin. You know, because they want to eliminate Jessica Rabbit's overt sexiness and uh, make her more relevant. Oh, okay. And they changed the name of Slave One, you know, one of the spaceships in Star Wars. It just wasn't woke enough, folks. You know what I'm saying? You know, this is great. They added a cross-dressing Muppet to inspire kids to become transgender. Oh, that's terrific. Let's go to Disneyland, kids. This is fun. Oh, man. Then we have 40% of crime in Atlanta. A whole different deal here. 40% of crime in Atlanta is caused by the same 1,000 people. Think about the size of that city. 30% of weekly arrests in Atlanta are individuals who have already been convicted of at least three felonies. Oh, you know, this Soros DA thing, it just works like a charm, doesn't it? Don't you feel really safe, warm, and cuddly? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we have Bill Gates. And this is really kind of a related rat-a-tat-tat to the next one. So let's start off with the FDA is planning to ban real meat as of April 1, 2024. I, I am not making this up. I am unfortunately not making this up because you know oh the methane from red from cows and such folks that is what's causing the disintegration of the earth's climate and just think folks we can drive around in our electric cars with no gender eating our fake meat sandwiches this sounds like wow utopia Uh, when is this going to all happen for us i can't friggin wait you know, maybe we can all get like a cork. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, we'll, we'll have the Green New Deal cork. That's terrific. <laughs> Who's driving this? Oh, it's our buddy Bill Gates, you know, because he happens to have a whole bunch of stock in all sorts of fake meat companies. And of course, he's bought 250,000 acres of farmland to grow stuff to make fake meat with. And he was on an MIT interview just like two weeks ago. Let me give you some quotes. Eventually, that green premium is modest enough that you can sort of change the behavior of people or use regulation to shift the demand. Oh, yes, let's get some more government in here. The New World Order. You know, it's a conspiracy theory, folks. And the Great Reset, that's a conspiracy theory, too. We're crazy because we listen to what they say. So Klaus Schwab, our good buddy, you know, He's the founder of the World Economic Forum, as you know, and the trainer of all sorts of folks like Trudeau and Zelensky, etc., at the Young Global Leaders uh, Schools. Well, he just had his World Economic Forum meeting, okay? It's actually called the World Government Summit. Gee, what does that tell you? Let me give you a quote. Quote, this is Klaus Schwab. I don't know if I can get his accent just right. He kind of sounds like Darth Vader prior to his accident. History is truly at a turning point. We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic structural changes which will happen. However, we do know the global energy systems, food systems, and supply chains will be deeply affected. And the answer is to expand government power. That's terrific. Ah, And then he's all about the DNA of an organism, changing it so you can create something entirely new. Gee, do I hear anything about the jabs here? Yeah. Oh, speaking of the jabs, so Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci, 
they've been caught in another email lawsuit that they had to uh, come up with the emails deleting the gene sequence of the COVID-19 virus, you know, uh, SARS-CoV-2, from Wuhan lab at the request of the Chinese. Not making this up, folks. You can read all about it in the rat-a-tat-tat section of the website on the therightsideradio.com. It was asked like, how he could be so certain so early that this came from, you know, bats and not from a lab. And he completely backtracked and said, well, I don't think we were dismissing it. I think that's been misrepresented. Everyone has always kept an open mind. (laughs) Okay, Tricky Tony. Yeah, we're listening to you, buddy. That's just terrific. Oh, and this is great. This is Moron Sop, S-O-P, John Kerry. He is just disgusting. So, you know, when Iranians chant death to America, folks, I kind of think about that as they mean... They want all of us to die. You know, that's kind of how I take those words. Well, Lurch, I think that's my new name for him, Lurch, he told Congress that that doesn't really mean that at all. In fact, he was being questioned by Congressman Poe, and I believe he's from Texas. Is that still their policy as far as you want to know that Iran wants to destroy the United States? Kerry says, I don't believe they've said that. I think they've said death to America in their chance, but I have not seen this specific, unquote. Poe comes back at him. Well, I I kind of take that to mean they want us dead. That would seem like that would be their policy. You don't think that's their policy? (laughs) And Lurch replies, I think they have a policy of opposition to us and of great enmity, but I have no specific knowledge of a plan by Iran to actually destroy us. I know that we, you know, are deeply concerned with Iran's behavior in the region, deeply concerned with their past activities, which is why President Obama felt, and then he got interrupted by Poe, and he finished by saying, if they did want to destroy us, they've got a much better shot of doing it if they had a nuclear weapon, unquote. This is the guy who, along with Obama, gave him $156 billion, $1.6 billion in cash, and basically signed an agreement without Senate ratification, which allows them to develop a nuclear bomb within 10 years. By the way, I think we're in the eighth year of that so-called agreement. Hold on to that pommel horn, folks. Does this bring military readiness to mind? That about wraps up the show. We're out of time again. Next week, got all sorts of stuff coming at you. We are going to talk about the economy next week. The box that the Federal Reserve is in, interest rates versus inflation, recession versus stagflation. And we're going to have the fifth installment of getting off the couch and doing something, folks. And we're going to have the next segment on military preparedness, more history of military readiness in the United States. You'll find it fascinating. And then the rest of the story, what's happening right now, what happened under Obama and what's happening under Biden. You will not like it. It will not make you feel safer. And before we go, remember, look in the mirror, sit with your family and say with conviction every single day, I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Thanks much for listening.
Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.